This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Setting up for turn number one. Will Power is right up under the rear wing of Joseph Newgarden as they glided through turn number two. Power's going to get a good run off at turn number two and head to Jake Query. And so we have teammates up front, and when they get to turn number three, it is Will Power that has taken the lead from Joseph Newgarden. Scott Dixon going to be the next to try to get past that Hitachi machine. Rossi just cleared Scott Dixon. Now the challenge for him is to try to get to Will Power. Nick Power has checked him out, but the issue, of course, for Power, he still has to go to softer red tire. Yep, it was a bobble on the left rear for the Verizon Chevrolet pitting from the lead. No changes a tear off off the arrow screen and crucially those red tires to go the distance. The Verizon crew doesn't look too upset about it all things considered. He's back out. Here comes Rossi through turn number 10. That gap is closing visibly. It could be Alexander and Will Power down to the very end of this race. Does Will Power have the tires to hold off Alexander Rossi? Rossi wants to get that win, and he visibly closes. It's down to about eight car lengths as they make their way through turn number nine, now turn number 10, and Will Power trying to get the 100th victory for Chevrolet. Here is the Sunset's on Belle Isle. It's 1.4 seconds to lead for Will Power over Alexander Rossi. Does Rossi have enough time to catch him on the final couple of turns? They work their way through 12. Turn number 13, Will Power's going to climb into the throttle. The lead, 1.1 seconds for Will Power. Twin checkers out, and he holds up Alexander Rossi. A spirited battle over the final lap as Will Power gives Chevrolet their 100th win. Outdueling Alexander Rossi to the checkered flag. He wins the final Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix presented by Lear. Checker flag here, buddy. Way to go, man. Great drive, buddy. Really good. Yes, yes, yes. All right, guys. Oh, God. Redemption, boys. Redemption. Welcome to Trackside on 93.5-1075 The Fan in Indianapolis. Highlights courtesy of IndyCar Radio of the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix presented by Lear from this past weekend. We have that to discuss, the top four on four different strategies. The winner coming from 16th. So much more from last weekend. The move to downtown next year, also a topic we hope to get to. Road America coming up this weekend, Sunday at 12.30 Eastern, back on NBC, still always here on the radio with IndyCar Radio. We already, as expected, have a couple of confirmations for 2023, but much more percolating. Remember last week when I referenced some big possibilities still out there? Uh, Some of those have come to light as far as what the options might be, might not be. We'll get into the veracity that we think of those, but there's a lot of potential moving pieces and parts for next year. We can get into TV ratings from this week. We still have more on the Indy 500 we hope to get to. Uh, And plenty of your thoughts via social media at KevinLee23, at Kurt Cavan. I'm Kevin. That's Kurt. Sam Rumsa is in our MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters. Thanks for joining us on the program tonight. Uh, First sort of caution-free race ever in the last of, I think, 30 races at Belle Isle, but it probably doesn't go down as caution-free. Because the caution, so it was caution-free for Will Power, but not for everybody else. Well, that's right. It's uh, You had that unfortunate incident with Renus VK in turn six uh, while the leaders were crossing the finish line. It may have been more than Will Power, but there were a couple cars, maybe three or four, that got to the line, maybe two. 
Anyway, it wasn't officially a caution-free race, although I think by all intents and purposes, that was the case. Really a terrific race. Entertaining, as you mentioned, four the top four drivers all on four different strategies. There was intrigue. It was a thinking man's race in terms of what was going to work, what might be the best uh, in you know to start the race with, what kind of tires. You know the weather was really good up there in Detroit over the weekend, and you know it's funny uh, when I first went to Belle Isle in 1990, uh, saw Michael Andretti win and. There's a there's a word for what I thought Belle Isle was, and it's not a very pleasant word. It was not a pretty place to go. I can remember seeing rats and and just just being very underwhelmed and unimpressed with the condition of the island. The the, the island itself, you know, was was a pretty place in terms of being in the middle of the river, but it just wasn't kept up. But it just it was run down. And I just it just didn't have a good feel. And I don't, you know, a variety of factors changed that over the years. Uh, obviously, Roger Penske's commitment to the island was terrific. And, and the, I give the locals a lot of credit, too. But, you know, the last eight or ten years, however long, you know, we've kind of been in this rebirth of Belle Isle, it's just been such a enjoyable place to go to. It's been really nice, and, and uh, you have to think that the people of, of the city are proud of, of what they have in the island and, and uh, it's just such a good race itself. Uh, the, the improvements, and I give this to Roger, but his, his Penske Entertainment has uh, really produced a really good racetrack. And I know it'll be a good event when it moves to the downtown streets next year in terms of it'll be closer to the people. You won't have to bus people in the way you do at Belle Isle. There's limited parking on the island if you've not been there. Uh, but there are a lot of things that we'll miss about Belle Isle. And I think that's, uh, that's the thing I would start the show with. It's for all the races that we've seen up there, some better than others. This was one of the best. And if this was the last one we ever see at Belle Isle, which is certainly the plan as it stands now, there'll be a lot of people that miss Belle Isle. And it is so ironic because this was a race that a lot of fans didn't get very excited about. I'm not sure what the drivers thought, about it, but I, I know what they think about it now because something has changed in the last few years and it has become entertaining and challenging and everything that you would like along with it. 10 years ago, this was the essence of processional. I forget who it was and when it was, but it seems to me like it was, this is my endearing memory of this racetrack. EJ Viso had hit the wall, car was wounded, and still no one could pass him. That's how hard it, that's how difficult it was. So something changed if they tweaked the layout a decade or so ago. I know they did some repaving, so that changed some things. Uh, what Firestone has done, I don't know if they meant to go this far or not, but I, I think I'm all for it. The fact that, yeah, four or five laps is about all you're going to get out of the alternates makes you really do some thinking and some gambling. And I know it's random, and, you know, like Joseph Newgarden said, uh, if it would have been the exact same as last year, I would have won on this strategy. So we tried that and it, it didn't work out, but it adds for a lot of entertainment. And, and that's that's been really exciting to see from the island's perspective. It is the legacy of what 
Penske Corporation has done and now Penske Entertainment with Roger and, and Bud Denker. I think this is Bud's baby as well. And part of it is it's what needs to be done to have a race in this situation, because as we all know, and you follow any motorsport, there are a lot of people that put up roadblocks when you try to do a street race. And there are a lot of people that just don't want that to happen. And they've had their share of protests and, and others saying this shouldn't be the case. But I think reality from business leaders and, and community leaders has looked at it and said, no, no, this needs to happen because this is what we get out of it. And you're, now I wasn't there in 1990, but that was the perception that the uh, island park is, eh, it's okay, but we've seen it significantly improve in the last few years. And just this past weekend on Thursday, I went to part of the island that I'd never been before. I made a wrong turn trying to get to a luncheon and, and saw an area that, wow, this looks really nice. There's a running path and a bike path and has it's nowhere near where any of us would have ever gone to be a part of the race event. I had no idea the island was that big. Well, it's a thousand acres. That's pretty big. And that's not going anywhere. And now they don't have the, uh, what annoyed people with the two or three weeks of the setup and the teardown of the track and so forth. Uh, will the race be as good downtown with the circuit? It might not. It might not. I, I, I think we all have some concerns but I would also say let's look bigger picture from the business part of this and think Nashville and what you're doing by bringing the event to people and bringing the sport to other people. And there's, there's likely going to be some chaos and some things happening. And I think commercially it has a chance to be significantly stronger than this. And you know what? It still might turn out to be a really entertaining race, but it's worth the risk. I think it's worth the risk. Well, it, it, it's worth the risk from a lot of standpoints. And I think it's just the biggest one is, is just the access to the people. I, I think that's, that's something that, that is really important. Uh, I've often thought about the effort that it took me to get to the island. And I had credentials. I had parking pass, et cetera. And the people who would stand in line to get on a bus to be driven mm -hmm you know, a mile up the road and crossing the bridge and waiting on the bus after the race. And there being a large contingent of people waiting on that one, you know, there wasn't one bus, but you, you, you know, my point, you got to load one bus and, and, you know, just, just the process, the effort that it took, that was commended, commendable. I thought to the race fans in Detroit that, that went to that great length to see the race. And, and they always had uh, good crowds here in this last decade and so I thought that was really impressive. And moving it downtown will will eliminate not only that aspect, but, you know, downtown Detroit is also a really nice place these days. And, you know, there are restaurants and and it's close to the stadiums and and they're just there's nightlife. And I, I don't know if Long Beach is is the comparable it may not be initially, but it certainly is closer to that than it is to a lot of things, you know. Uh, so certainly more than Belle Isle is to uh, to other circuits. But just from a racing standpoint, I think Detroit and the Grand Prix at, at Belle Isle really became something that was interesting. The, the corners, you know, one of the things they did was was help that, you know, turn three 
four, five, six complex. That was was better. Uh, you know that there was repaving, as you mentioned, and and just the corners were interesting. And I thought, uh, as you mentioned, it went from processional to really good racing. You know, you just hope that that uh, the street race provides as you know some of that. Uh, it won't get to all of it initially, but they can make changes and make adjustments. They do with street races all the time, opening up the corner. I think about Long Beach where they did that, opened up a corner even for this race. So, you know, there's there's ways to make it better. But I think just from a commercial standpoint, uh, just it'll just be better being near the manufacturers. Chevy, you know, GM, the GM uh, headquarters right there. That'll be a terrific backdrop for the event. And, you know, you think about Roger Penske and Bud Dinker and bringing in, last I heard uh, a couple years ago, it was like 77 partners for the Detroit Grand Prix. And that's an astounding figure in any market, let alone, uh, you know, one in the Midwest that uh, obviously felt the effects of, of, uh, of economy over, over the past decade and plus. So, you know, good decision for Bud Denker and Roger Penske apparently. And I think we certainly trust them to, to uh, expect this event to be great. And here's what I think it can also do for the community because my thought has always been, this was one of the reasons why Roger Penske and Bud and the rest of the Penske organization wanted this event to continue was it was for the community. It, it helps the community. It brings, tourist dollars into the community and um well now people that sell things in that area restaurants and otherwise are going to stand to benefit and i'm sure deeper thinkers will come up with more than just restaurants and bars you know hotels were always going to be part of a factor but let's face it if you if you live in detroit and you are going to belle isle you weren't necessarily incentivized to go ahead and have dinner downtown because that's a second parking situation that you got to do. So you're probably just going back home. So I know the out-of-towners like us that are staying in hotels are going out, but that's probably a pretty decent crowd that's just commuting from Detroit. Well, now you come, you find a place to park downtown, you're going to make a day of it, maybe multiple days. So I think that all plays into what this is going to do for the downtown community and I think just more visibility for those 77 or however many partners that they have, uh, something like 50% of the course is going to be available to see for free. So you you are going to, if a motorsports ticket is too much for you and you just like to taste out the event, we all like free, there's going to be a free option. What that visibility and view is like, I can't imagine it's going to be the best. But a lot of street races, the visibility is not the best. And you're seeing a particular corner, and it's about just kind of going to the event. Well, that's still an option, as I understand it. Bud mentioned that again last week, that that's one of the ideas that they want to do, is to let people experience IndyCar and share this with the community, even if they're sold out, or even if this just isn't in your budget plan. So I am fascinated to see how that works as a potential model for street races moving forward, because in all honesty, too, there's still money to be made intangibly, even for people that don't pay for tickets. If, okay, you draw 45,000 people on race day selling tickets, that's one number that you're giving to your corporate partners. But if there's a footprint of 75,000 people 
that's the number that matters more about seeing signage and for the community and for tourist dollars. Uh, those numbers matter, even if they don't. And, and maybe you're still selling concessions that is controlled by the race promoter in the area. So there are all areas where it can make some sense to have it's essentially, I think, a different level of ticket price and entry point to come to the event. Yeah, that'll that'll be fascinating to watch, and you know, commendable again to 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 the organizers. They've always had you know, Grand Prix free, 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 pre, whatever, however they said that. But on Fridays was always mm-hmm. was always free, and so I'm sure they'll do something like that. And this footprint is different than a lot of cities, where it's going to be difficult anyway to kind of you know section off the course. You know, you you can. You just can't block off. I mean, you could, but I, I think it will be more of a challenge and something that they won't do. You will have more access to the facility in this location than you would, say, in Long Beach, where you you really could section off a, a portion. But uh, anyway, getting back to the race, it was it was really interesting. It was fun to watch. Uh, I thought thought the broadcasters, both radio and television, were able to explain what was happening, and I thought. You know, the broadcasters nailed it pretty quickly on what the options were, you know, which tire was going to be better when, which uh, which driver was was capitalizing uh, when. And uh, and so we probably got the right winner and and the right challenger at the end and Alexander Rossi and Will Power in that reverse order. And we got a lot to talk about. And it still needed to stay caution free for willpower to win up until at least he was about to take the checker, because if not, it was going to be the same scenario that Joseph Newgarden had last year. Had there been a, a restart anywhere in the last stint, anywhere, not the last two laps, but any time in that last stint that bunched them up together, then whoever was on the primaries was going to be the benefactor. I still don't know what the right tire strategy is. It worked out in this case for for Will Power. It easily could have worked out for Alexander Rossi. You could make an argument that Scott Dixon using so so for those that didn't really follow that, Power started pretty far back, 16th. The plan was I'm going to run long because the Reds are going to wear out very quickly. So he went long and had moved to the lead and then save the Reds for the last stint, tried to make it as short as he could, but it was still 19 or 20 laps. Rossi also started relatively far back, 10th or 11th, 11th, I think. So he started on the Reds, passed like six or seven people in the first four laps and still went in to the pits and then ran blacks the rest of the way and did one extra pit stop. So very different strategy, not just starting on red, but went a three-stop strategy, whereas the others up front, were uh, doing two. Scott Dixon did the same strategy as Power to start the race, but he ran his reds in the middle. So same thing there. Had there been a caution, Dixon might have been in the last stint. Dixon would have been on equal tires to Rossi and better than Power. Then it would have come down to Dixon and Rossi. Rossi seemed a little bit better that day. And then there was the new garden strategy who went reds and tried to go a full stint at the beginning and was losing a lot of time at the end of the stint. Um, but if he comes in any earlier, he runs the risk of not being able to run to the end. So really just fascinating. I Back to the original thought, I don't know what the right strategy is 
which makes it fun. Well, not only not only was the strategy part interesting, you got to give a lot of credit to Power because, you know, he and Dixon both started on the Blacks and Dixon, you know, and they were qualified basically together, um, you know, mid-pack. And what Dixon said was, you know, I didn't capitalize. I didn't run as hard, basically, is essentially what he was saying. I didn't run as hard as Will did in those early laps. And Will jumped me and uh, and built a lead. And and that was really the difference is how well, because it went green to green for the leaders, Power was able to really make up ground early. And that ultimately was the difference between he and Dixon. Now, you know, and for example, if, if Dixon – you know, if if power runs like Dixon did in that first stint, then Rossi probably jumps them both. So credit to Will Power for basically going qualifying laps for 70 straight laps and putting on a show early and moving up through the field and then just keeping his pace. You know, he ran as well late in that red segment at the end as just about anybody on a racetrack. You know, he was he was at a 12-second gap to Rossi I was charting it. It was probably six straight laps with inside 10 laps to go. He was he was at 12 second advantage and just kept it. So, mm-hmm. you know, power deserved to win. And uh, it wasn't about, yeah, the strategy turned out to be the right one. But I think it was the right one because of the way Will drove, not only in that first segment when he had, you know, really a chance to, to make hay. But at the end, he didn't drop off as much as others did. And then you had others trying a similar strategy that it just didn't work out quite as well. Um, but it's always fun when qualifying doesn't ruin your day. And qualifying was was quite interesting. Maybe we'll touch on that for just a moment because you had some some new contenders up there. And, you know, normally in a road and street course, that has a lot to do with the way things are going to go. But you got talent spread all the way back in part because – well, in round two, you had a late caution. Grosjean crashes, and at least three or four looked like they were going to improve their lap. So that kept maybe someone like Herta, uh, maybe Dixon, maybe Rossi, all with good cars from starting in the top six. But you already had Will Power on the outside looking in, starting pretty far in the back. Felix Rosenquist, we think, had a pretty good car. Team forgot to tell him that, uh, I don't think he said he was going to be a top six car, but was was maybe going to advance. But they forgot to tell him that Jimmy Johnson was coming by. So he's in Jimmy's way and gets penalized his his two best laps. But then that leads you into the fast six with, OK, no surprise that New Garden wins the pole. But two Dale Coyne cars, Takuma Sato second, rookie David Malukas sixth, two Meyer Shank cars, Simon Pagino and Elio Castroneves in row two. And then Pato Award, probably the only other one that wasn't a surprise, starting fifth. So that was that was really fun to see with, with something shaken up on Saturday. Unfortunately, didn't play out very well for any one of those other than Newgarden and, and Award finishing fourth and fifth in the race. You know, maybe we'll touch on just kind of bounce around a little bit on Elio um, when we start to get into next year. You know, we were talking about this a month or so ago. I was in the camp convinced that surely Elio is going to be invited back for another year. And I don't know if we brought this up on the air or not. And I am, from talking to several people, less and less convinced of that. I still think there's a chance. I don't think it's been determined. 
but I I think there could be a scenario where Elio is invited to do the 500 and maybe do the endurance sports car races, maybe do full-time sports car racing again, but they've got two really good drivers in that program. So I don't know if there would be an opening, but I think that can change with a strong second half. And that's why this is frustrating because he qualifies fourth, he's running third and they have electrical problems and he doesn't have a chance to show if he could finish up there. Yeah. I, I remember asking Elio at the at the preseason media days and I was the moderator and so I asked the first couple of questions to kind of get the room rolling and I asked him about his road course uh and street circuit uh performances you know he's not but the issue hasn't been his ovals uh but I think you know it's at least the perception had been and he could go through the particular races but that he had didn't, had not had the same kind of success late in his Penske days on the road courses. And then he pointed out that, you know, the sports car program went well, they won the championship. Uh, he hadn't lost anything. Anyway, I, I think you see, it certainly raises some questions. Um, but he ran well here. Detroit's always been a good place for him. And and he showed well. Um, but I'm I'm with you. I, I have my doubts on whether or not uh, he'll be back as a full-timer in the Meyer-Shank car next year. His last non-oval win, by the way, was at Detroit, along with his very first win. I think it was in 2014. He was still pretty strong on the road and street courses at the end of his Penske career. He was good in 2017, but it's just a matter of when you don't do it for four years and you're trying to learn a new system. I remember him telling me at the, the Indy GP, that Barber was the first time they've gotten the brakes to feel like the way he wanted the brakes to feel. It's a different system. It's a different organization and the way Penske did it. And he was trying to explain, oh, this is what I've been used to. This is the way they do it. Is there any way we can do it like this? And and that race was the first time he felt that way. You know, we don't, don't know what happened in the GP because it was wet the entire time. And I didn't talk to him uh, this weekend. You know, I'm still in the camp that Elio, it's good for everyone if Elio's in the series, but I suspect the team is going to wrestle with that. Hey, if there is a young driver out there and we have a funded ride and we can go get him and think that's going to be someone that's a future of our organization, it's in our best interest to do that. But there may be someone else paying the bills that says, you know what? Eh, Okay, maybe this guy's not in the championship frame right now, but as long as he's still a factor, and you know he's going to be a factor in the Indy 500, we want him around all the time. So I, I think this is still one to watch as we move forward in the second half of the season, and I'm, I'm not willing to say that's not going to happen. I think that can be turned around. Uh, and some of the drivers that they may be interested in may sign somewhere else because there's still a lot of movement in play. We'll get into all of that. We'll get to some of your tweets at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. We'll talk about Will Power leading the championship again. Much more to come tonight on Trackside. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. <laughs> at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan, Will Power is the championship leader after getting his first win of the season. And what's what's the note as well? Is this 16 years that he's won yes. an IndyCar race? Yes. Dixon has won cons- 17 years. 
Yep, but, that is accurate. And uh, Will has extended the streak, and Dixie has not yet. And they are the only two drivers with consecutive uh, winning seasons in excess of 11. So the next the next closest is 11. They are at 17 and 16. And the next closest among active drivers is New Garden with eight. Hmm. That's a pretty good run. And one more win will power ties Michael Andretti. For fourth place. And, and he, wow. I don't think Will can get to third, but uh, I think he would need another nine or ten wins to get to third. But, but fourth with Michael Andretti, pretty strong, pretty strong. Yes, indeed. So what do we make of where Will Power is at? We've talked about this before, about his mental approach. You know, in all honesty, every driver talks about things coming into the offseason. And and I brought this up earlier in the year, and it's been talked about. Uh, There have been, I'm going to say, four or five other years where, you know, Will's philosophy had changed and this was going to be the right time. But maybe... Maybe this approach, long run, is going to work out for him. I think he is in a place where it's all gravy from here. It's I'm, I'm just going to enjoy what I have left and try to make the most of it. So I had chalked up most of that talk early in the season to kind of coach speak. You know that mm-hmm. we we we've heard this before, and it sounds good early in the season, and and something's going to go wrong, and and it's going to. You know, you're going to have a bad stretch and then the pressure will be on. And I'm not saying he would have driven differently or anyone else would drive differently. But I, but the momentum just kind of gets away from you. And then the topic at hand or the or the talking point <laughs> is not ap- applicable. So we stop asking you about it and it just becomes a lost uh, storyline in the season. So, you know, for one reason or another, he's had challenges and not always his fault. But uh, in fact, almost never, you know, it's it's just something that happens in competitive environment and, you know, you lose your momentum. And then next thing you know, you're finishing third or fourth in the standings. So I'm starting to become a believer because now at this point, I think he is just relaxed. Maybe he believes it. And I think there's a lot to that when an athlete, really a worker, an employee of any kind starts to believe that, you know, I still got it. Uh, I haven't, uh, I have something to contribute, whatever the, the phrase is, but the confidence that you get from that, Will has it. And, you know, imagine if he'd have scored well in the Indy 500, you know, where he yeah. would be with this season, because he's had a terrific season and he had done so really without winning a race. So now he's won a race and, you know, he's one of these guys. We've talked about this. We've had this show 13 years now. Uh, We've talked about this almost every year when we get to kind of late in the season. We have always said, well, Will Power, he's capable of running off a string of three or four in a row. And because he's just that good, he's that quick. And when his confidence is high, there's nobody uh, that is certainly superior. There are many, many others at his level, but I mean, some, at least Scott Dixon would be one. But, you know, when he gets hot, he, he might rattle off two or three more this season and, and run away with this thing, relatively speaking, run away. Now, some will say, all right, what happens when the pressure gets to him? You know, he's he's the guy that let, what, three championships in a row get away from him. Maybe, maybe it was four. Maybe, but maybe not. Um, 
he might be in a in a place where he can convince himself to just do what we've been doing. If I win the championship, great. If not, as long as I'm in it, you know, let's face it. I don't know that anybody really expected him to make another run for a championship. I know I mentioned him coming into the season, and I still, I, I believe in my heart of hearts, gave him a chance because I believe he is as fast as he ever was. But there's also a lot of competition and a lot of other flavors of the month, if you will. And so people weren't talking about willpower. Maybe that's what works out for him. And I also think that he feels like next year's his last year and isn't worried about it. Uh, He's mentioned before, I signed a two-year extension and then, you know, then I'll move on. And I don't know that's because he wants to be done or he just assumes he's going to be done. But if he continues the way he's going, he's going to have the option to either stay with Team Penske or go do something with someone else and be a contender. I don't know how that plays into your mental frame of mind, but I, I do think he's going to be in the mix until the end. I think he will too. And, you know, there is something to be said for, you know, Will's, Will's not a, 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 he doesn't lack confidence, but he, he really, I think has benefited from people talking about him. For example, as you did earlier, being in the Michael Andretti range of race wins, of being in the Mario Andretti conversation and polls. I think, you know, when he won that 2018 Indianapolis 500, we've talked about it, you know, his reaction, you know, show me the respect, you know, mm-hmm. he has sought that. And I think in, in the last few years, I think he has seen that people do respect him. The, the poll, the poll pursuit, uh, the record for most polls in a career, you know, we've talked about that. Every time he wins a poll, it, it becomes big news. And I, I think he just feels better about who he is. Look, being a parent and and having a family, you know, sometimes works against a race car driver in terms of, you know, your bravery and how much you're willing to invest in your craft and, and in the seat of the moment. But I think it's given Will a real sense of purpose and, and, and a sense of, of calmness. And I like who he's become. Uh, and we've seen this with other other drivers. We talked to, about it with with Dan Weldon, you know how it changed Dan in in a really positive way. Um, so, look, I like where he goes from here, and I don't know if he wins this championship because it's obviously very competitive, and he might not win another race, but be in the hunt all the way to the end. But he's also capable of of rattling off two or three or more in in the rest of the season. And I think if if uh, if he goes to the last race within, you know, a couple positions, meaning he's, he, you know, he doesn't have to finish first and have the next guy finish 20th or worse. I mean, if he's got a real shot to win the championship at their last race of the season, I'd hate to bet against him. So Chaz Schultz won. His question is, who would you say are the top three contenders for the championship at this point this season? Well, I would start with uh, Joseph Pelot, and award and power. <laughs> so there's four. I I think, you know, Polo, I, I can't rule Polo out. I think Polo's going to go to the last race. He's just been that steady and consistent. I think power is going to be there, and I think Pato's going to be there. Whether Joseph climbs back into this, I know he's not a long way out, but Indianapolis hurt those Team Penske drivers. And so those are kind of the three that I would focus on, Pato, Polo, and power. I think I have to go the same way. 
and I was down between power and award. And even as I say that, you know, that means the sneaky Swede is still going to need to be sneaky. The guy is three points out of the championship lead and neither one of us put him in the top three. And that's not because I don't think incredibly highly of Marcus Erickson. I think Joseph Newgarden is going to be a bull the rest of the year. It, it was about winning the 500. It didn't happen. And even if he doesn't stall the car on pit lane, it wasn't going to happen. They just weren't good enough again this year to win the Indianapolis 500, but they are good enough to win the championship. And you saw how annoyed he looked finishing fourth at the end of, of Detroit. Uh, that's what he can do to salvage the disappointment of not winning the 500 is win another championship. He's going to be there. Polo is the real deal. Pelot's not going anywhere. Is he going to win it? I don't know. But he is going to be there at the end. Pato probably is too. But if I have to pick between Pato and Power right now, and and this may be regretted, I'm going to look at the, the Power. Uh, look at Power as the, having the advantage long-term moving down the stretch. Probably a more accurate way would be to go and look at each track remaining and see who is best, whose team has had the best setup. So this is still kind of a random guess. You know, I think if we went down and broke it down, who's going to be better at each one, maybe we could get a little more educational on that, and maybe we do that in the off week after Road America. And that leads us then to Brian's question at 500 in 1911. Although many are still mathematically in the hunt for the championship, I believe realistically, realistically it's down to the current top six. Give me your best argument for Rossi or any other driver outside the top six to win the Astor Cup. So the six goes down to Dixon. So that's Power, Erickson, Award, Pillow, Newgarden, and Dixon. And Dixon is 53 points out. Then it is, what, something like 70-ish, a little more than that, to Alexander Rossi. Then Pagano, Rosenquist, McLaughlin, Herta, Daly, VK. Anyone beyond Dixon? Because I would agree that that's where I would probably stop. I still give Rossi a little bit of a chance, and it was interesting talking to him in my chat for my 500 notes. Yes, he wants to win the Indy 500 again. He very much wants to win the Indy 500 again. But he mentioned first double points. He said, I have not conceded this championship. And if we win the Indy 500, it's on. And even if we do pretty well, we've got a chance. And they did pretty well. And then he's had another good race. 180, uh, where, where he's at is a pretty decent amount back. But I guess ultimately I'm going to say that's still a big surprise because they've just not shown any consistency to be able to do that. It's one thing to have two good races in a row. It's another thing to have a good second half of the season. So I don't know... I don't think I give anyone a very good chance at all beyond there. If I had to pick someone, maybe it's Pagano because they're still gelling and I'm not sure what they're going to be in the second half of the season. And you know what? Actually, no, I'm going to go back to McLaughlin because they've shown it. They've won races. So if anyone outside of the top six is going to win, I'm going to say it's McLaughlin. So I'm going to say it's Colton Herta because I think Herta could win – probably three more races. Uh, I think, do I think that's possible? No, but for the purpose of the conversation and the question that was asked, mm -hmm. I think Herta is the one 
I mean, he is down that far because he finished 31st in the Indy 500. You know, how many points did he get? I, I, I've got several pages stacked here, so I can't pull it right off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, Colton is that far down because of the Indy 500. You know, he lost pretty close to uh, pretty close to 80 points to the lead group, Marcus Erickson. Yep. Uh, and that is the difference in him being 11th versus being second or third. Now, the Indy 500 counts and it's double points. And we all knew that going in, but I think he's the one that I think of those other six or seven that you're talking about that are not in the top six currently. In fact, I would say if, if the question was this, which driver could win three races the rest of the way, I would go with Herta and I would go with power. I think either one of those you could see rattling off three more wins the rest of the season. That's why that's why I would throw Herta in the mix ahead of McLaughlin or Pagano or Rosenquist. And Rossi hasn't shown the ability, obviously, in the last three years to to go rattle off three in a row or not necessarily three in a row, but three right. of the last 10. Yeah, I'd still stick with McLaughlin has a better chance than those directly in front of him. But I think you're right that Herta and one because he's been a little closer in the mix before the McLaughlin. You know, he was somewhat in the championship mix um, the last couple of years, at least within range a little bit. So I, I, I could see that. And, and you know, you are going to some places. You know the how a good street course set up at Toronto. We saw how fast he was at Nashville. Uh, he's been good just about everywhere that they're going to go. He the won rest Laguna. Of the way. And Laguna. Um, I can't remember Iowa. I'll have to look into that one. To see a couple of years ago who was good at Iowa. I know Joseph Newgarden's good at Iowa in the past. So yeah. Uh winning it, but they're within they're within 90 points or so. So they're not too far out. Uh so that'll be fun to watch. All right, we'll get to the news of the day coming up. Get to more of your Twitter questions at Kevin Lee23 at Kurt Cabin. It's trackside 935 the fan. Hi, this is Alexander Rossi, and you're listening to Trackside. Coming up tomorrow at Indy's Dirt Track, Circle City Raceway hosting Indy Midget Week. Big time there with the big stars of the USAC NOS National Midget Series taking on the quarter mile bull ring. Plus, Jonathan Bird's 410 non wing sprint cars in the dirt. All presented by Maston and Kane Warehousing and Services. Check out CircleCityRaceway.com for tickets and times. Kevin? So I think we'll make our news of the day, the beatdown that Linus Lundquist put on everyone effectively and coming close to ending the Indy Lights Championship here before we get to the midpoint of the season. Where we have, We've got six of the 14 rounds complete. He was generally about a half a second better than everyone else all weekend, won both races by 3.7 seconds, but that's because there were two cautions in each of the races he might have lapped about half of the field. Uh, he would have been way out there, and he's now 84 points up on his teammate Benjamin Peterson. Stingray Rob is 92 back. So is Daniel Frost. So it's not mathematically over, but it's looking really tough. Lundquist has won four of the last five races now to take control of the Indy Lights Championship. Uh, and that's our news of the day. And when we get to the 
2023 silly season. Let's make sure to talk about where he might end up because he's been doing a lot of talking with IndyCar team owners. So that's the news of the day. A reminder, tomorrow at Indy's Dirt Track, Circle City Raceway hosting Indiana Midget Week with the biggest stars of the USAC National Midget Series taking on the quarter-mile bull ring, plus Jonathan Bird's 410 non-wing sprint cars presented by Maston and Kane Warehousing Services. Check out CircleCityRaceway.com for more information. Part two news of the day is I am cleared to go to Road America. I appreciate everyone tweeting their concern over the weekend. Uh, so I did go to Detroit, and voice still hadn't fully recovered by Thursday, and I thought, eh, you know, I, I talked a lot uh, during the Indy 500, so maybe that's part of it, but otherwise felt fine hosted the luncheon on Thursday. Luckily, didn't really interact with everyone. We had kind of a separated situation and and actually Lauren Kanan was there doing the interviews with the drivers. So, but by Thursday night I felt like I feel like I'm getting a cold and I'm starting to sound like I sound now a little bit nasally and I started sneezing, which is kind of odd away from my cats uh who I'm allergic to and Friday morning still felt pretty good, but thought, you know what, uh, I better not infect the entire paddock uh, and all of my teammates, and then we'd have some real trouble. So I stopped by the CVS on the way into the track and tested positive. So I think the uh, the colds that we used to have probably would have been uh, labeled something else, and, and I, mine never got worse than a cold. So tested positive, got in the car, drove home. Luckily, we weren't at Laguna Seca, or I'd have been in trouble, and I'd be there for two weeks. Uh, drove home, never got worse than runny nose and a little headache and just watched a lot of racing and even some baseball on television. Went for a six-mile walk today, got my workout in, got officially cleared by HR, and we'll head to Road America for the weekend. So uh, that's that, and we're ready to go again. News of the day number three, what's wrong with two weeks at Laguna Seca? <laughs> I guess if someone's paying for it, that'd be okay. <laughs> yeah, that, actually, that would work out pretty well, especially if it was the hotel we stayed at the first year, which we're no longer staying at. And I did spend about two weeks there because we had an IMSA race followed by an IndyCar race or maybe vice versa, and that was fantastic. We're not staying there anymore. <laughs> All right. No, and <laughs> even if you have to pay for it, that's a, honey, sorry, I got to stay. I got COVID. Uh, no, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. I'd be... <laughs> I, w I won't insert the name of the hotel because that might disparage them, but that's where I'd be if I was paying for it for two weeks. All right, coming up in hour two, we'll get back into what we saw in Detroit, maybe some more in the Indy 500, your tweets, 2023 roster possibilities, that and more all coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two of the program. We'll get to your tweets coming up in just a moment. Before we forget, since we heard from Kyle, we should uh, probably just say there are a couple of question marks for driver possibilities this weekend. I would assume Kyle is okay since he toughed it out and did what's even more difficult in Detroit, but it's still one to watch for this weekend. And then is Callum Eilat going to be ready to return? Um where Santino Ferrucci replaced him this this coming weekend. And I saw Santino said, 
Uh, I could barely hang on to the steering wheel at the end. Callum Eilat had had some blistering problems the beginning of the season, and Santino had major problems this weekend as well. So those are a, a couple of question marks coming up this weekend that we do not have firm answers, or at least I should say I do not have firm answers on at this point. Feel more likely that, that Kyle Kirkwood is going to be okay, though. I think so, and I would. I don't know about Eilat either. Uh, I expect the entry list tomorrow. Um Obviously, the uh, vice president of research and development, Arnie Schrieben, didn't get uh, didn't send us the entry list for tonight's show. Arnie, it's okay. <laughs> we understand we're not your priority. But uh, anyway, you know, Callum thought he would be ready for for Road America. It's not the physical demand of Detroit, but um, we'll have to see. I guess it's still tough. Yeah, still, still yeah, pretty still tough. tough. And the reason it may not be out is because the teams may be waiting just to make sure they may need for further clearance. And it's possible that things aren't even settled by tomorrow morning either. It, it is fair to point out that Ferrucci ran well in 2020 for uh, at Road America when he was with uh, Dale Coyne's team, finished sixth in both races. So, you know, he does have some history of, of strong runs there. So that wouldn't be uh, a bad option for, for the Hukos Hollinger team so let's just get to this next then you know one scenario if you're hunko's hollinger on how quickly you put calamilod back in if you don't think he's 100 that's that's one thing to factor in um, but he obviously wants to be there to score points and no one wants to give up the seat but and he probably also like to continue to have a chance at the rookie of the year championship but it's not like he's fighting for the championship um, they can still score entrant points for leader circle programs. So from the team's perspective, they need to put in the car who has the best chance for them. And here's the other caveat. Is Callum Eilat coming back next year? I would think the team wants him back. But I think some other teams are going to have interest in Callum Eilat. Where do things stand? Who knows what the contract situation is? My guess is it was probably a multi-year contract, but my guess is also there were some clauses and some options and some dates involved that we're not going to know all of the details of. But if the team has a decent amount of uncertainty about whether he has other options and might go somewhere else, then it might be in their best interest to give Santino Ferrucci another run at it so we can evaluate him because we're going to need another driver. Yeah, fair enough. Um, obviously, Ricardo Junkos is going to know the answer to the contract situation. And if he thinks he's got a Callum locked up and, you know, that's his plan for 2023, then I think he tries to run Callum if he can. I thought it was interesting mm -hmm. and professional the way Ilot handled handled Detroit in, in saying, look, I don't have a teammate. This is a good opportunity to see how another driver in the same situation, the way you would in a teammate situation, to see how Santino handled it and when what things he might be doing uh, that I'm not doing or things we're doing the same, are we validating the information that we have, all those kind of things. I just thought his answers to the question were extremely professional and like you, I think I can say this, I haven't asked you the question, but I think it's true. I'm more impressed with Callum Eilat with each passing day. He is yep. a solid, a solid individual with with a great skill set and a really good personality. So I, I like what I've seen from Callum. And and a smart 
way to look at things because basically what he's going to get is he's going to get a teammate for a weekend and, and Santino will say, this is what I'm feeling from the car. And that might be the same things that Callum Eilat has been saying, or what about this? I'm feeling this. Let's try this. Santino has a little bit more experience in Indy cars than Callum Eilat does, but that's kind of why I brought that up because I suspect he's there next year um, for many reasons, but I also think some other teams are likely I don't know if they're willing to sign him because it's still, I think, uncertain who has openings. But I do think teams are keeping an eye on Ilot and saying, you know what? If we have an opening and we have the ability to hire someone, he might he is someone that we should at least consider. So let's get into this next then. You know, already 2023 is becoming a little more clear with where people are going to be. The first was Pato Award, who basically declared himself uncertain for next year in the opening round. Now we have that, that he is going to return to Errol McLaren SP, so cross him off, cross a high-level seat off. Alexander Rossi, we got to confirm, is going to be joining him as a teammate in a three-car operation at Errol McLaren SP. Well done by Andretti Autosport, saying, all right, we know this has been leaked. Everyone knows what's happening. We're getting ahead of it. We're announcing Rossi's replacement before they can announce him somewhere else. So Kyle Kirkwood slots into that spot uh, with the number 27. By the way, everyone noticed that Napa was not mentioned as a part of that. Does that mean Napa is in? I wasn't at Detroit for more than an hour and a half, so I didn't get to ask anyone this. Does that mean Napa is going with Alexander Rossi? They didn't really announce any partners with that. Or is Napa going to another driver on the Andretti team or are they going away? Those are all questions. I do not know uh, at this point free agents that are out there. So I wondered about Marcus Erickson, you know, especially when he mentions not bad for a pay driver that, all right. And I said, I, I didn't ask him last fall, whether it was multi-year or if I did, I don't remember. And, and even if it is said to be multi-year, multi-year is not always multi-year. We know that in racing contracts don't mean a whole lot and there might be buyouts, there might be options and so forth. But a couple of journalists this weekend did ask Marcus and he said he is in a multi-year contract. So we'll cross him off for now. Um, and I say for now, because again, everything is possible. Do I expect him to leave if there is a contract? No, I don't expect Ganassi to let the Indy 500 get a winner get away. There's going to be a clause that works for the team that's in there. I don't suspect he's he's going anywhere. Uh, Renus VK is a free agent. Felix Rosenquist is a free agent. Elio Castroneves is a free agent. Obviously, Santino Ferrucci is. Um, Takuma Sato probably is. Usually, he has one-year contracts. Linus Lundqvist is someone to keep an eye on. We mentioned him. And then who is not a free agent, but maybe could be, and this is kind of what I was alluding to last week, and Jennifer Iyer tweeted that uh, Alex Pillow, I should actually find what the exact wording of it was, but basically, um, you know, the old word on the street is that Alex Pillow might be headed to Errol McLaren SP. And I'd heard the same things. I wasn't going to mention that publicly because I didn't have a strong enough source on that. Alex said, no, I'm happy where I'm at. Um, 
don't think the team really wants me to talk about contracts, but I'm happy that other people are interested in me. So I'm not sure what we take out of that. But here's kind of what I take from it. No matter what Pelot's contractual situation is, and this can apply to everyone else, I think Errol McLaren SP is in the business of going after anyone they want and giving it a go and saying to the driver and the team that has a driver under contract, what's your buyouts? That's why potentially everyone is in play. With the salaries that they pay in Formula One, this is all chump change over here. Are they going to get Alex Pillow? Probably not. But maybe that's how that got started. I think it's it's very likely that if they wanted to go for someone or I mean their their short list would would have Colton Herta, Alex Pillow, and Scott Dixon. I mm-hmm. think that that would be their list. And probably in that order, although they might I don't know if they'd take Pillow over Herta, but they obviously have a connection to Herta. But any one of those three, if they got with to go alongside Pato Award and, and Alexander Rossi would be a tremendous three car operation. And I believe they've taken a run at Dixon at least once, if not twice before. The first time was a few years ago when they weren't quite ready to come full fledged into IndyCar. I don't know if they did uh, two years ago when they were fully ramping up again or not when they partnered with uh, Errol McLaren SP. So they'll probably do that again. I don't know what Dixon's contract status is. I'd be really surprised if he ever left Chip Ganassi Racing. But if someone offers to double your salary, then you at least have to take the listen at it and and see what it is. Now, doubling Scott Dixon's salary is a lot harder than doubling or tripling Alex Pillow's salary. Keep in mind, Alex Pillow is still likely on the rookie contract, like that Pato Award was not happy about and made it pretty clear. Now, Alex uh, says, no, I'm already making more money than I ever thought I would. I'm not in this about money. And that's the right answer to that publicly. But the people that are advising him are going to tell him, Alex, I know you're happy, but this is a fickle business and you're not doing this for the next 30 years. You need to get it while you can. And if someone offers you significantly more and long-term security and still the chance to compete, you have to strongly consider that. So then we get back to what are the clauses? You know, we, we learned of a clause that we've never heard of before in motorsports, basically restricted free agency with Pato Awards contract. And someone needs to match up to whatever it was, 75%. I'd not heard of that before. Maybe that's more prevalent than we know of. So that's likely how these things get started. I'd still be surprised if, if Pelot got away, but... Obviously, a lot of people heard the same kind of thing, and it can't all be from the same person from the last two or three weeks. I just say, that's why I was saying, keep an eye on that. When I heard about that, I thought, you know what? No one's out of play. No one is out of play. I know there are drivers with multi-year contracts involved, but McLaren goes big, and they can always float, especially to a young driver. This doesn't work for Scott Dixon, I wouldn't think. But for Alex Pillow, they can float the same thing they did to Colton Herta and Pato Award. We'll let you test an F1 car, and you never know. 
and everyone knows that Daniel Ricardo is probably gone. If not after this year, then after one more year, that's the place that has a Formula One seat. And you might say, well, why would you ever want to leave? And my preference is IndyCar as well, too. But go back to you're going to have people telling you that you got to take care of number one. And Formula One drivers, slightly better than mid-level Formula One drivers, make 10 to $15 million per year. You need one two-year contract to set yourself and your family up for life, to, to make the amount of money you'll make an entire IndyCar career. That's just the reality. I think when it comes to the love of the sport and the competition, Alexander Rossi explains it very well. He's much more happy here. Marcus Erickson is much happier here. But if you somehow feel like you have a chance to get into a mid-level or better situation and make 10-plus million dollars, you have to you have to do it. You have to consider it. And those two drivers that you just named, Rossi and Erickson, they're happy here, happier here, because they know they, what they've gone through. They've experienced it. Colton Herta has not. Alex Pelot has not. Pato Award has not. So the the allure of the experience is there for them mm-hmm. where someone, you know, who has done it before, like Erickson was asked if he wanted to go back. No, he does not want to go back unless he, he was jokingly said the other day before he won the Indy 500. Yeah, if I've got a couple Indy 500 wins and a couple series championships, maybe. But uh, actually, he said that in the post-race after, uh, after he won the 500. But the point was, look, it's going to have to take an awful lot for me to accomplish here before I'd be interested in going back. But those three that we're talking about, you know, they're young. They know they can go. This is what Colton Herta said. They know they could go and always come back in a couple, three or back. four years and still be 30 years old. And, and the other drivers that have been there done that. They know they're not – well, I would say they know they're not getting another chance – but then I see Kevin Magnuson back in Formula One this yeah, year. So, yeah. so I mean, I guess it is it is possible uh, in, in the right kind of circumstance. But it, it is much more likely for a young driver. So it's just one to watch. Oh, and by the way, out of out of all of this, that really even stirred a little bit more was when someone translated a Tony Kanaan tweet. Translation was. Uh, regarding the third era McLaren SP driver, TK said it's neither Felix nor Renus. People will fall from their chairs when they know, which kind of goes along with, and, and I think a lot of people thought it was Alex Pillow. That's why that rumor was spreading. So that may be, you know, and sometimes when, when things get put out there, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. So this may not be Alex Pillow, but it may be someone close to him that said, you know what, this is in our best interests to get this flowing and just kind of remind everyone that our driver is highly sought after. So is there anything you can do for us here? What, what, can, what can you do that makes us feel a little more happy and let's go ahead and do a long-term deal rather than these one-year options and let's just get it all sorted out at this point, um, because if not, and I'm not speaking for them, I'm speaking for how this could go. If not, then I'm going to remember that when I am an unrestricted free agent and I'm gone. 
no matter what the offer is. So if you want me here long term, let's play ball because these are some of the people that are interested and these are some of the numbers that are being offered if I was available right now. So I agree with all of that just for the sake of devil's advocate and because this is a radio talk show or podcast you haven't met falling out of your chair. Wouldn't that include a team Penske driver? It would. And that's why I gave the broad scope of no one is off limits for arrow McLaren SP. So yes, that does not necessarily mean falling out of my chair. Here's the list in my mind. It's, it's actually falling out of my chair is probably doesn't start with Alex Pillow because that one seemed pretty feasible because for all I knew, he was at the end of a contract. He's still on a rookie scale. Falling out of my chair starts with Scott Dixon. And then it goes to Joseph Newgarden and, Joseph and Will Newgarden. Yeah, it's, yeah, it goes. I, I probably even fall out of my chair more for Joseph Newgarden bec- over Scott Dixon because at least the Scott Dixon Correct. one has been in the conversation previously. And fall out of your chair because I didn't even really bring that around too much. When someone asked me, I said, you know, you don't leave Team Penske. He's not leaving Team Penske. But that would cause you to fall out of your chair. (laughs) Unless you go back to what I said before. If someone wants to pay you three times what you're making, and it's a long-term contract, and maybe Joseph does still want to at least drive a Formula One car. And they can fulfill that dream. Just just drive a Formula One car, a proper Formula One car, to see how I stack up. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't everyone want to do that? I would. If I was, if I had the skill set that Joseph Newgarden has, and spent time in Europe trying to get there for a little while, I would want to know: Could I do it? And I might decide, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm not getting into that cesspool. I'm not taking a risk of ruining a great career, um, but I at least want to see if I can drive the thing and just experience it. It's fun. They got into this because it was fun. Is it Joseph Newgarden? No, it can't be, but it can't be, it can't be, but they're, they're going to make a run at them. That's third seat is open. They are calling everyone and saying, Hey, is your contract up? What's the buyout? If it's not up, I, I, just, I think uh, I, Joseph just signed an extension, by the way. I think I don't Joseph think it's I don't think it's Joseph because I think he's got the business, the off track businesses pretty well lined up. Uh, he's, he not Brian Simpson, he's not leaving Team Penske. He's not leaving Team Penske. But but if you're asking me which ones fall out of my chair, I start with Joseph Newgarden. Then I turn to Will Power. Then I turn to uh, Polo and then Dixon. So unless it's a Formula One guy, uh, which is not out of the question. And if I, I don't know that Daniel Ricardo would be the fallout of the chair, but nah, it, it wouldn't that to me, that doesn't feel like McLaren, but um, moving forward anyway with IndyCar. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. stuff. <laughs> and, and you know, let's go back to Renus VK, who some people were talking about in that seat at this point. Um, we'll know more, I think, when we talk next week. But Renus VK needs to get it going. He sure you know, does. Yes, 
you know, he might want, and good for him recently, his comments were something like, I have a lot of loyalty for Ed and I want to be here because he was pretty open uh, last winter about, eh, I eventually want to be with a bigger team. That's at least what I took from that. I don't know what their financial situation is. I don't know if if Renus and his backers are still bringing a significant amount of money. But if not, and he's a higher driver, he would want to be pretty thankful for where he's at and the team that he's with because he may find, if it doesn't get going, this is going to be his best option. And And by the way, you can still make an argument that Ed Carpenter Racing would be his best option considering what they've done in other races and what they bring for the Indianapolis 500. But the point being is that if Renus doesn't get it going, he's not going to be discussed in these other circles. But that's one of the, the scenarios that, you know, leads to there could be a lot of movement. Where is he going to end up? Um, I think Felix still has a chance, but it's a long shot. He, he needs a result ASAP. He needed to win the Indy 500. He needed to run up front at Detroit and or run up front at Detroit. I still think this weekend is another chance to really do something and maybe change some minds, but it's still probably going to come down to those top really high profile targets become available if they don't. And they're just looking from the normal list of free agents that I went through. Then I think Felix maybe does still have a chance because I do believe he is very well regarded within the team and by teammates. And I think that matters especially when you're going to have two other teammates that expect to win the championship in the Indy 500 next year. You know, at some point you need someone that, that plays well with others. Uh, So in that regard, I still, that's one of the reasons why I give Felix still a chance to survive out of this, but it would greatly help his cause if he is on the podium this weekend at road America is fast all weekend and has a legit podium. And then if Alex Pillow and Scott Dixon uh, and Joseph Newgarden and all these other high-profile names are not available, then I still give Felix a chance at retaining that seat for next year. All right, coming up, we'll see what we've missed on that front and get to some of your questions at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. More from Detroit, more from the Indy 500. I'll, um, some will say it's spin. I think there might be some perspective available, though, to kind of explain what I understand about television ratings and what's uh, reasonable and, and some things that I don't understand regarding the Indy 500. Coming up in a moment on Trackside. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Let's get to some Twitter questions at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan from E. Hirschberger. The plural of moose is moose is the handle. So he goes right to the top of the line. The moose car, by the way, did you see did not have a good day in NASCAR on on Sunday. That's Ross Chastain. <laughs> I like that. Just ah, I, I stunk today and I'm sorry. I ran over everyone. Did you see? I know I'm getting on tangents, so since I had a lot of time on my hands, I watched a lot of racing, and I was looking forward to watching the Portland race, and it rained for NASCAR Xfinity. Did you see any of that? I didn't. AJ Allmendinger crashed on the pace lap. That's how bad it was. It it wasn't – the conditions were bad, but AJ just was – I was awful. He went off like three or four times, was a lap down, got legit lapped on the track, and won the race. 
and he, he beat Marty's son, Myatt Snyder, at the end of the race. Myatt led a lot of laps, did really, really well. Uh, it was kind of drying mixed conditions, a little bit like the GP. And, you know, as Myatt said, hey, if anybody's going to beat me, it's okay if it's AJ, because he's pretty good. Won his first champ car race there way back when. So that was cool over the weekend. Uh, and then he came and, and finished 10th in the Gateway race. And that was cool to see those stands packed. And I hope that continues for IndyCar, that there's still a lot of effort and enthusiasm to make that event work at Worldwide Technology Raceway. All right, back to uh, uh, the plural of Moose is Moose and the question. What do you think of the theory that moving all Indy 500 practices and most qualifying to Peacock hurt visibility and awareness, and that led to the decline in ratings? Do we think the trade-off is worth it? So that brings us to one of the things I wanted to mention. I don't see the number in front of me, but the Indy 500 rating, which came out after our show last week, surprised me where it was at. It was down a little bit from 2021. Um, I did see it noted by some that NBC said that households using television were down something like 18% on the day year over year. And I think the 500 rating was down 13 or 14%. So if you look at it from that way, you could say it was a little bit more flat. I was surprised in that. I really thought it was going to be better. I also understand that while they're pretty good at this, it's still one person is representing, I forget what the number is, but is it like 5,000 people? Maybe it's significantly more than that. But you just, you've got some people that have diaries that were going to watch the race and something changes and they decide it's a nice day and they go out and they don't. And that skews you by a significant amount. Um, those kind of things play into it uh, just a little bit. It's always tough. And I know these sound like excuses when you're talking about early in the summer, but that's the way it has always been. Ultimately though, I'm surprised. I thought it would be up best ideas I have of what could have helped it is if Jimmy Johnson was a real factor in the race. That's one of the reasons why I thought it was going to be up was the Jimmy Johnson and also Ramal Grosjean factor a little bit. And the fact that neither one were ever a real factor in the race did not help. If Jimmy had been running like a lot of his thought legitimately in the top 10, then I think that would have played a part into the rating of the race. Uh, but they didn't, and it wasn't. So, as they like to say, it is what it is. To the question, you know, I, I think if none of qualifying had been on network TV, I think there would have been something to that. If all of qualifying is on Peacock, then I think you could start to say, yeah, that, that kind of hurts. And in a perfect world, sure, you'd love to have six hours on network television the week before the race. I think that would probably help a little bit. But how realistic is that? I don't think you ever got more than a little bit. Actually, you know what I think about in the ABC days, ABC did nothing in qualifying, did they? We did that. It was on Versus, on NBCSN, right? Well, I can't remember year from year, but let me just say this. I Isn't think you're, you're kind of at a crossroads with regard to people's viewing habits. And I think long-term... It'll be good that the streaming service has been an avenue for people, and I think it'll build stronger relationships between the, the fan base and the sport. But 
we may not still quite be there with people tuning into their streaming devices. You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, we, we know there's going to be a point at which it's going to be more beneficial to be on streaming services than it will be to be on, on over-the-air broadcast. But I don't know that we're there yet. No, I know we're not there yet, but I was just going to his specific question is, you know, is that an impact on big network ratings by having more on Peacock and maybe a little bit, but you still had, you had a pretty good rating for qualifying. You had just under a million people watching, which was up from the year before. You had a good window at the end of Sunday, the week before the race. Um, I think that's where we're kind of making excuses if we say that's the reason why the Indy 500 rating dropped a, a little bit. But here's the way I see Peacock in some ways. In a perfect world, yes, everything is on linear television, but that's not an option for virtually any sport anymore. Right. It, actually, it's not an option for any sport. Thursday night football is not going to be on television this year, and people are going to be apoplectic when they figure that out. Uh, after that first Thursday night opener on NBC, the rest of the year, other than Thanksgiving, is only on Amazon Prime unless you are in the home market. So if the Colts are playing on Thursday night football, one of the local affiliates will strike a deal and it will air. Otherwise, you've got to have Amazon Prime. Baseball has the same deal. Exclusives on Peacock on early Sunday, on Apple TV on Friday night. I don't know if that's exclusive or not, but you get where I'm going. I think what this kind of does is it super serves the hardcores. And from a business standpoint, no, there's not a ton of people watching, but it's still important. And this is kind of how we look at it, trying to put a, a network level of effort into these broadcasts, even if it's a fraction of the amount of people watching, our thought is the sport is better off if the people most invested are happy and are entertained and are spreading the word you're the you're they are your best marketing platform to say i'm liking this and you need to like it as well and and to talk about it on social media so that's where a value is for peacock the numbers are not going to be uh, that impressive to begin with it's going to grow and the reason why everyone has this streaming platform is they want to be ready for when it clicks you know i know there are some people i, I see comments on social media is that, oh, we need to include the social media numbers in these ratings because that's how everyone watches now. No, it's not how everyone watches. I think the Indy 500, which draw, uh, drew a very big number on digital, was still like 5% of the total audience or something like that. It, it's a fraction of what it is, but it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger. And as to the ratings on USA this particular weekend, I don't know what the network was expecting, and I don't, I'm not a spokesman for the network. But in my mind, that wasn't that bad. It was around 350,000, something like that. And when they add the digital, it'll probably be a little bit higher. But keep in mind this this is the first NASCAR IndyCar race on USA. I think the number will be different later on when there are some NASCAR races there. People are still understanding that USA is starting to become more of a sports network again. We've had a little bit of IMSA on there, and they haven't drawn particularly well. We had some college basketball on there. It'll be better. But even with that, these numbers were in line with some cable races in the past, especially before NASCAR starts. Our big cable numbers always came in the second half of the year when a NASCAR broadcast is promoting, and people have that channel tuned on. Right now, that's not 
in your level of options. You're sitting down. If you're a sports fan, you're seeing what's on the big networks. You're seeing what's on ESPN. Maybe you're seeing what's on FS1. It's not top of mind. And most of us still have to look and figure out where is USA? Where is USA? And that will become a little more prevalent as we go on. I think the gateway numbers will have a chance to be a little bit better. And the bottom line is you got 14 network races. You had to give and take a little bit. And Penske Entertainment took the bullet on this one. They raised their hand and said, all right, we know this rating is probably not going to be very good. So we'll make it our race. We'll make it our race is the first one that's on USA. Yeah. I think you did a, did a nice job with that. I, I don't know what people's expectations were, uh, but, you know, USA is in plenty of households and it's just a matter of retraining the eyes. And And I think a lot of it is what are your natural channels that you watch? And if you're a casual fan flipping through, I mean, USA isn't my, isn't in my, isn't in my quick searches, but no. Anyway, when I had direct TV, I had to look it up when we had a couple of races there. I had no yep. idea. And now it's easier. I have YouTube TV and I, you know, I slid that up to the top. You can adjust your channels on YouTube TV in any order that you want, which is really nice. I did, did you know, know that? that. Thank you. I think yeah, I, so, uh, I think I told you to get YouTube TV and, and, uh, but I didn't know that. Yeah, no, you, I have all of the channels that I watch up at the top. So therefore I do have a better chance of seeing what I might want to watch that that's, that's there. Uh, Chad bunch. Uh, oh, I did make the broadcast this weekend. We got the willpower bottle, uh, throw from 2021 in there and they enjoyed my, my calm on that. Uh, Paul says, what have you heard about the reasons for the poor performance of Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, Detroit again, showed how far they've fallen behind. So in fairness, as we like to say, everybody else is on scholarship too. So yes, they're at the back, uh, but the people that are right ahead of them, you might look and say, yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. But ultimately, yeah, it's got to be horribly frustrating because they expect to be running for wins, not competing with you know, name the other teams that are around there with them. I don't yeah, know where it's, it's going to come from. It's, it's frustrating. And, and Graham going out early with a, with a bump of the, of the right rear tire against the wall. That didn't help. You could see it in his face. You could hear it in his voice. That, that one hurt. Here's the good thing. You know, we said before that Jack Harvey was taking a little bit of a risk moving on somewhere else and you have to perform and he has not performed. But what is going to save Jack Harvey is neither have his teammates. And I think yeah. they all understand that. So Jack should be fully safe. This is not Jack Harvey's fault. And I know Graham Rahal still thinks highly of him. So uh, surely they'll get it figured out to some extent here as we move towards the second half of the season. All right, we'll see what we missed and get you set up for the weekend at Road America coming up in just a moment. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Simon Pagano, and you're listening to Trackside. Final segment of the program, a reminder, we're back on Tuesday night. I think for at least the next couple of Tuesday nights, we continue with the program. Let's see, next Tuesday, Tuesday the 21st, Tuesday the 28th. So that is nice and simple. More racing coming up this weekend, and then a little bit of a break after that, and I suspect the paddock will need it. Here's what's the, uh, on uh, tap for this weekend at Road America, the first IndyCar practice is a 75-minute practice, Kurt, Friday afternoon at 425 Eastern Time. Yeah, all these on Peacock, as as most of our listeners know, and the big race goes on NBC. So, 
you know, traditional ways of getting to the action this, this particular weekend? Saturday, there is a practice at 1045 Eastern time, qualifying at 145, and then a final practice at 520 Eastern time. Race on Sunday, because it's so early, uh, we go on the air at 1230 Eastern time, so that's 1130 local, and join us early. Make sure you set your DVR for the pre-race, because the race is actually going to start probably where the pre-race is listed. I believe Green Flag is scheduled for 1255 Eastern, so that might still be in the pre-race DVR schedule, if you if you understand what I'm talking about. So make sure you check all those. Back to NBC this weekend, IndyCar Radio. They're on the air even earlier at 12 o'clock Eastern here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Indy Lights has just one race this weekend. That is going to be on Sunday at 1040 Eastern, 940 local time didn't even have a chance to look into uh who we expect to do well for this coming weekend um from last year box score well i remember this when joseph newgarden was in control of this race and he had uh what kind of an electrical issue and lost power towards the end and alex Pelot wins the race hurt a second power third then dixon and grosjean your top five erickson rossi sato award and children also i remember that the meyer shank car was strong jack harfey was running up front they tried an alternate strategy and finished ultimately at the back it'll be fun we'll get into it all coming up this weekend on peacock and we'll talk about it here next tuesday night you'll have some stuff on indycar.com too every day lots of stuff to read All right, we'll look forward to it. Thanks to Sam in our studios. Thank you for joining us tonight. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.